You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. Joining me today by phone is Dr. John Ferret, professor in the Department of Medicine, Department of Pediatrics, and Department of Psychiatry at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. Dr. Forrett is the director of the DeBakey Heart Center's Behavioral Medicine Research Center at Baylor. He has published more than 170 articles and 17 books in the areas of obesity, eating disorders, and cardiovascular risk factor reduction. Dr. Ferret, welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you for having me. I know you were a member of the NIH expert panel on identifying and evaluating and treatment of overweight and obesity in adults. How did you all come up with the definition of overweight and obesity being let's say, a BMI of 25 and a BMI of 30. Where'd those numbers come from? Well, obesity, you know, is excess body fat. But the problem for physicians, of course, is how to measure excess body fat. So we had to come up with some easy definition for physicians to use when they evaluate their patients. The body mass index makes most sense from a public health point of view, although for each individual it may not be the best measure. For most of us, as we get older, when we put on weight, you know, that weight puts us at risk for cardiovascular diseases. Uh, BMI of 25, which is roughly about 15 pounds, you know, too much weight, we've looked at the evidence and the evidence showed that patients are starting to have risk for diabetes, risk for hypertension, risk for dyslipidemia. By a BMI of 30, which is about 30 pounds too much, most patients already have at least one or two risk factors. So it equates well to cardiovascular risk. So 25 and 30 were reasonable numbers. The World Health Organization also uses those numbers, so it's easy to compare across countries the prevalence of obesity and overweight in our societies. And can you just review a little where you should really be measuring that waist, not under the panis? Well, right. But remember, the BMI is really the relationship of weight to height squared. So it's just, it's weight to height. So we're not measuring waste for a BMI, although waste, of course, is very important also. You're right. And a waste greater than 40 inches in a man and greater than 35 inches in a woman also denotes high risk. In fact, there's a trend today using waist circumference rather than just BMI. We're all getting, you know, these bigger and bigger waists. And that's where the risk is anyway, as you know, obesity above the waist, which is the real problem. Dr. Fred, I'm curious how you got into this field. What interested you? How's your waist size? Oh, getting bigger. That's the problem. So always struggling. But I really got into it because of the research interests, both from a theoretical and from a clinical and practical level. Your background is kind of interesting. I mean, you have interests in medicine, peds, and psych. And as you know, a lot of us use food to soothe ourselves. Well, what we're finding more and more, stress, tension, anxiety, depression, loneliness, anger, boredom, all of these psychological and psychosocial measures really are affecting our society. You know, we're eating not just because we're hungry, but we're eating for these appetite, these cravings, and these cravings are driven by all of these primarily negative psychosocial factors. So that, I mean, those are the things we really need to address because yeah, otherwise yeah. we're just spitting well, I our think, tops. I think our patients know what to do. The issue is then how do you motivate them to do it? That becomes the issue, and that's where we got the problems with all of the psychology. That's where the psychology comes in. How do you motivate people to do it? Right, but even motivation without understanding of their underlying, let's say their underlying eating disorder, why they're eating, 
it's very difficult to treat those patients. Well, if it were easy, everyone would be skinny. So that's the real problem. And you're right, you put your finger on it. Well, I'm curious why you think things are so bad. I don't think we could blame it all on high fructose corn syrup, but... You know, its bottom line is calories. We're just eating too big portion sizes and not being active enough. So the bottom line is, you know, very simple in one word. It's just calories, you know, and that's the bottom line. We need to become hunter-gatherers again. And that's not going to happen. So that's the, that's the whole problem in all of these societies today, including ours. What if we just got rid of automobiles? <laughs> we're not going to do it. See, it's just not going to happen. So we're all going to have job security. <laughs> that's right. What if we decide we want to treat the patient and let's use that word diet. I don't like the word diet because it, it means there's a beginning and an end, but let's say we choose a diet. Yep. What do we pick? What's the best one out there that you've actually had success with? Well, I don't know if that's the right word, success, but certainly what's the trend today is a little bit more protein. You know, the average adult eats about 15% of their calories from protein. So if you go up to around 20 or 25 or even a little higher than that, you get a little more satiety. And that's what our hope is today is to help satiate, help the patient feel fuller quicker. And so a little bit more protein certainly is a major trend today. Fat is still around 30%, somewhere in that range, a little less if you can do it. And then the rest, complex carbohydrates, so fruits and vegetables, breads and cereals. But I think what we're seeing today is this little move toward more protein. There are data to suggest that that seems to be helping patients stick to a healthy diet. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Casco. I'm talking to Dr. John Ferret, professor at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. We're talking about obesity and if we can lose weight. Dr. Ferret, I read once that when you go shopping, really, you should just stay on the perimeter of the store and never go into the innards because everything around the outside is good for you and everything inside is high in calories and carbs. There's probably some truth to that. But, you know, but the bottom line is not exactly what we're eating, it's how much we're eating. So we really have to pay attention to, you know, portion size and really just excess calories. Are you a fan of telling your patients to use a salad plate instead of a regular plate? Sure. Anything that helps. You know, I think we need all the help we can get. And any of these little behavior modification tricks can be helpful for some people. Are you a fan of the pedometer? Absolutely. And remember, you walk an extra 10,000 steps a day, you're talking 50 pounds in a year. You know, you're going to lose 10,000 steps extra would be 500 calories a day, seven days a week. That would be a pound a week or 50 pounds in a year, roughly. So pedometers can be very motivating for some people. Most patients have no clue how many calories make up a pound when I ask them. They're, they're way off. You know, that's true. And uh, we find the same thing. It's absolutely right. It's amazing to me the lack of knowledge that people have today. So let's repeat, 500 a day, everybody. That's the magic number you have to be telling your patients. 500 calorie deficit, right. Either from exercise or diet or a combination of the two. We don't care how you do it. Right. 250 from each, you know, 250 from diet and 250 from exercise. Terrific. Let's say they kind of plateau out and they lose all their weight. Does that equation change a little bit to maintain weight loss? It does, but, uh, you know, we find that it's just better to kind of stay on that same trajectory. What we've been asking patients to do, we just keep asking them to do more of it because the truth is, even though metabolically and all that you have these little changes, the truth is it's so hard for patients to do anyway 
that stick, we try to have them stick to the 10,000 steps a day and to the same dietary restriction. Have you found in your career that there's a certain personality type or mood type that will actually listen to you and do what you say? I mean, if they've got some underlying OCD, will they totally get into what you tell them? Well, some of those with OCD will do the behavior modification, meaning keeping a food diary and so on and so on. But in the long run, we've never been able to predict very well who's going to be a success and who's going to be a failure. You know, I wish we could. You can't tell when they walk in your door. No, we've always tried to predict it, but, it's, uh, you know, I, I've never seen any good data on that, including our own. <laughs> How did you feel when Accomplia was not approved in the United States? I was devastated. I was hoping it would be. And uh, we need, again, all the help we can get. We need new drugs. We need combination drugs. We need the combination of lifestyle plus pharmacotherapy. I felt very bad. I, we need the drug. You think over time it'll kind of ease its way in once the FDA kind of steps back a little bit, because right now they're kind of looking more stringently at everything than ever before. I hope so. Well, what was the reason it was pulled? I read that the incidence of depression was too great. That was part of it, and part of it was the dropouts in the studies. In the Rio, North America, and Rio, Europe, they had a large number of dropouts. So it's, you know, it's difficult to approve a drug, when a lot, apparently, from, from the FDA's point of view, when they don't have long-term measures on people. Have you been able to see what's been going on in other countries with the use of Accomplia? Seems to be doing okay as far as I've heard. So it's certainly available in much of the rest of the, of the world, but not here. All we're stuck with is staining our underwear from Ali. Well, but Ali, you know, to me is very helpful too. You know, again, I always go to the bottom line. We need all the help we can get. And that over-the-counter drug is, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled for anything we can do to help people. Again, if it were easy, you know, people would be skinny. It's not easy, and patients need help. Well, I have patient probably once a day come in and say, doctor, I'd like a weight loss pill. And I'll say to them, listen, I can give you a pill, and after one year, it'll cost you $1,000, and you may have lost five pounds. And they decide not to go with the pill. I mean, I may be a little skewed in the other direction that I, I think they have to do mo most of the work. Well, they do. But again, if we can also help them do most of the work, and sometimes drugs can help people, make it easier to stick to a good diet. What happened to the, the older pills that we were using, the, the stimulants? Uh, is anyone still using any of them? That I don't know. Really, the popular ones today, as you know, are you know Orlistat and Sibutramine and Phentermine. So those are the three main ones. And those drugs can be helpful for some patients and as part of a lifestyle, not instead of, but certainly as an adjunct to a good lifestyle program. And of the three you mentioned, do you find one better than the other? or Depends on the patient. And have you ever used them in combination? Some of our physicians do use them in combination, and that is helpful for some people, even though it's not you know, directly approved. Yeah. Dr. Fred, what's, what's in the pipeline for weight loss? Are there any drugs pending that you're looking forward to? The trend is these combination drugs. Drug companies now are testing combinations, and I think that's certainly a trend. And then hopefully, you know, Romanoban will eventually get approved. I, I certainly hope so. And there are other drug companies also working on the CB1s, you know. So there are similar ones to Romanoban that other companies are working with, too. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the biology or the science behind Accomplia and how it really works? That's a good question, and we're not sure, you know, other than, you know, it's one of these appetite suppressants. It's, you know, it really, much like marijuana, makes you hungry. You know, this is an anti kind of a hunger drug. It hits the same receptors as marijuana does, just as, you know, it's an antagonist. So you get the anti-munchies. Right. It's a cannabinoid antagonist. So it seems to work. You know, the issue then becomes 
what patients does it work with, and, you know, safety and efficacy is always the bottom line. What type of program do you have down there that you think could be extrapolated to physicians' offices to help people lose weight? Oh, I think physicians are so busy that they need shortcuts, and the shortcuts really are if you can raise awareness of your patients, that is, by having them really keep track, either through a food diary, which patients hate, I understand that, but the more that a patient can really keep a food diary, pay attention to what they're eating, and look at the calorie level. So anything a physician can do to raise awareness, that's about all the time the physician has to do with the patient. And, and encouragement, again, be good role models themselves, eating, trying to eat healthy and exercising regularly. That works as well as anything. On that note, Dr. Ferret, thank you very much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm Dr. Larry Caskill. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Lipid Illuminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. This ReachMD program is featured on CIRMO, a free online community exclusively for physicians. To discuss this program with your colleagues, visit www.cermo.com. That's S-E-R-M-O dot When you join, enter ReachMD in the promotion box to receive a $15 Amazon gift card.